The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello to Vegas and everywhere else watching Peacock. It's PFTPM Thursday edition. Vikings general manager Rick Spielman joins us for roughly a 24-minute conversation We do that at the end of the show because we've already taped it, and then we get to quit early while you enjoy Rick Spielman. Actually, I'll be watching the interview very carefully, critiquing my form, taking Now, I'm going to go eat dinner early. Shereen Williams is going to join us whenever we get some audio issues that are definitely her fault and not mine fixed. As soon as we get those fixed, she will appear, as she always does, on that side of the screen. I always... That side. Yes, it is that side of the screen. All right. Uh, I have a monitor down there, so it's just kind of weird. It's not a mirror. It's the opposite, so it messes me up sometimes. If it wouldn't be that, it would be something else. All right. The Steelers' relationship with Ben Roethlisberger seemed messed up for a while, and my instincts, for once, were correct. For once. And I'll take it. I'll take it. You roll the dice. You develop your opinions, you articulate your opinions, and you hope that the passage of time will prove that you were at least reasonably in the ballpark of reality. What did I say for the past four weeks? Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger supposedly want to continue their relationship, dancing around the issue of $19 million due and payable to Ben Roethlisberger in 2021. Quiet. Peaceful. Nothing. They could have gotten this done very quickly if he was going to make his $19 million. Well, new deal announced today. Multiple reports indicate the $19 million will not be made by Ben Roethlisberger. He has taken a $5 million haircut with nothing in return. Now, he gets a lot of his pay this year in the form of a signing bonus, but he would have anyway. It's going to be $13.925 million as a signing bonus. $1.0, no, twelve. Excuse me, let me get the numbers right. $12.925 million in the form of a signing bonus. $1.075 million in the form of a salary. $14 million total compensation package for Ben Roethlisberger. $5 million left on the table. Cap savings of $14 million. That is aimed at spreading that $12.9 million signing bonus out as far as possible. It feels like this will be his last year. They'd have to rework the contract again, obviously, next year to to satisfy whatever relationship they would want to continue to engage in. But I think this is it. I think that Ben may be at some level a little bit miffed that they used against him his statement from a few weeks ago that I don't care how much pay I get this year. You know, they could have at least did for Ben what they did with Peyton Manning in 2015 in Denver. They took away 4 or 5 million from him, but they put it in the form of an incentive that he would earn back completely if they won the Super Bowl. And he did. So, that's not there for Ben. They can win the Super Bowl and he's still getting 14 million this year. Not a bad payday if you can get it, but 5 million less than he was supposed to make. We have Shereen Williams now via Zoom. 
always capable of coming up with an alternative patch on the fly, if need be, as I try to fill until Shireen comes up on the on the screen. <laughs> Maybe we don't have Shireen. There she is. All right, Shireen. Uh, first reaction when you saw that Ben Roethlisberger is making $5 million less this year than he was supposed to make. Not surprised, Mike. You know, I think this is the move that had to be made for both sides if he was going to come back. It gives him one more opportunity to go try to win a Super Bowl. Uh, and the Steelers get a bridge quarterback for another year. They've eventually got to find his replacement. I don't think his replacement's on the roster. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, Mason Rudolph, I guess we'll see. I know they want to see what, what Dwayne Haskins has, but... They're going to have to find, Mike, a franchise quarterback, whether it's in the draft this year, whether it's next year, whether it's a free agent next year, whatever they do. Let me ask you this. If you're ranking the quarterbacks in the division, do you have Ben fourth? I think maybe third just based on Joe Burrow's injury. But, you know, that to me says something that he's the third or fourth quarterback probably in that division right now. Yeah, Obviously, Lamar Jackson's one. If healthy, Burrow's two. Between Mayfield and Ben, right now, I don't know. But here's what we have to do. We have to project forward. He turned 39 two days ago. How healthy will he be? How effective will he be? Is he in the process of breaking down? Can he stay healthy all year long? And I still think there's a chance both parties are going to regret this come November or December. But if the Steelers end up saying, why did we do it? They can at least say, hey, we saved $5 million in the process and that that uh, is not as much frankly as I thought they were going to squeeze out of his 19 million dollars but it's more in line with what his value would be no one else would have paid him 19 million if he was available this year would someone else have offered him 14 million possibly possibly I could see the Bears saying we'll pay you 14 million for one year and we'll roll the dice if the Bears didn't have any better alternatives so it's a win-win he said he didn't care. He's made a lot of money, and he's coming back for, by all appearances, one more year with the Pittsburgh Steelers, although this is, in my mind, far different from the Jerome Bettis one more year of 2005, which ended in a Super Bowl win for the Steelers. I think the Steelers are a lot farther, Shireen, from the top of the conference than they were when Jerome Bettis came back for one last ride. Isn't it so funny to say that, Mike, too? Because we're talking about a team that started last season off 11-0, and right? And you know, we were talking about them possibly being a Super Bowl contender, and they won the division, and then they, it was just a dud at the end of the season. And I think that's what you worry about with Ben is the first half of the season, he looked like a 14 to $20 million quarterback. After that, he did not. I think he had five interceptions in December, and, and we know how the playoff game turned out. Not very well for the Steelers. He didn't play very well in that game. So I think that's what you worry about. Can he hold up for an entire season? 2019, we know he only played two games. Didn't even get through the second game when he had the elbow injury and coming back off of that. He's played more games than Terry Bradshaw did after his elbow injury. But the Steelers need more out of Ben Roethlisberger if they're going to have a chance. They have so many free agents, Mike, this year. I think they have 19 unrestricted free agents, you know, Juju and, and Bud Dupree among those. I just don't know what the future is for this team. They always seem to be in contention every single year since 2003. But right now, as we sit here today, I don't see this as one of the teams we're talking about in the AFC to go win the AFC. Yeah, contention for the playoffs, they always are. And anything can happen. And we've seen them 
pull the proverbial inside straight 2005 when they were left for dead as a sixth seed. They ended up winning the Super Bowl. So they're capable of grossly exceeding reduced expectations. The expectations will be lower this year. Last year, even when they were 11-0, they didn't have that many impressive wins. I thought the Browns would beat them during the regular season, not in the postseason. I got those two flipped uh, around, but that's when they had an impressive win. And then Another time against the Bengals, I thought Cincinnati had a chance to beat them, and that was an impressive win. But, you know, they struggled with the Ravens. They should have lost to the Ravens in Baltimore. They had a lot of games that easily could have been lost as it caught up with them. They stepped into a hole. They couldn't get out of it. They had that late-season win against Indy that reestablished things, but it wasn't nearly enough to get to where they wanted to go, and they were obviously bumped out in the wild-card round. So I don't know how much better they're going to be this year. They do need to find another quarterback sooner than later though they can't go 20 years like they did between Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger just floating from mid-level guy to mid-level guy every once in a while there'd be a flash Cordell Stewart was on a roller coaster where he would develop confidence 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 and then something would happen it would bottom out and then he would slowly build his confidence back that's that's not sustainable Neil O'Donnell was not sustainable, uh, especially when in his last game he found a wide-open Larry Brown twice in Super Bowl Thirty. The only problem is Larry Brown was not the Larry Brown who played for the Steelers in the 70s. He was Larry Brown who played for the Cowboys in the 90s. So uh, they, they, they've got their work cut out for them. And you almost have to bottom out. You have to have a bad, uncharacteristic Steelers season to get yourself into a point where you can go grab a great quarterback in the draft, Shereen. Yeah, you know, you look at what the Ravens did a few years ago with Lamar Jackson drafting him late. You hope maybe some one of those guys falls down to you and and he's a quarterback that can be your franchise quarterback. Or maybe you get lucky with the, you know, a Jalen Hurts or, or a Dak Prescott later in the draft after the first round uh, that can come out and be your franchise quarterback. There are other ways to do it, certainly. And when we look at the top quarterbacks, none of them were top five quarterbacks. So I think they have to evaluate those quarterbacks, Mike, hard. And if they like one of those guys and think he can be their franchise quarterback, I think they either have to move up a little bit and try to draft him or wait and see if he falls down to him. But they're getting to the point now. I mean, this I think we all agree this is probably Ben Roethlisberger's last season, if he can stay healthy enough even to make it through this entire season. But they've got to find that guy sooner than later. They're running out of time here. Yeah, Steelers picking at number 24 this year. And uh, six quarterbacks that could go in the first round. And you never know who's going to be left by the time we get down there. And we've seen the Steelers in the past, whether it was for San Antonio Holmes, Troy Polamalu, they'll move up if they want to go get a certain guy. And maybe they fall in love with Mac Jones or decide they want Trey Lance or whoever it may be. And, and this would be better for them than waiting until after Ben's gone. And this would be the equivalent of taking Dan Marino in 1983, which they didn't do in part because they had Terry Bradshaw, but they didn't know they'd only have him for eight more passes for his career. If they'd have known that Bradshaw was done, they undoubtedly would have taken Dan Marino. They know going into this season that Ben Roethlisberger is likely done, so maybe they'll get one of those six quarterbacks in round one. All right, Denver Broncos picked at number three, I believe it was, in 2011. Vaughn Miller from Texas A&M. Shereen, you would know that. Was he third or second? He was third, wasn't he? Uh, was he third? He was third, yeah, I think so. He I was, think third. was third. All right, right. 
He's, I think he was. He's entering season number 11. I know that with the Denver Broncos. George Payton, the GM of the team, addressed the media today. They have until March 16 to make a decision on picking up an option for Miller for the final year of his contract, $18 million. There's a, a vague issue that's hovering over Von Miller, a, an off-the-field criminal investigation that no one has really shared many details about. It was referred to district attorney for evaluation recently. Here's Peyton talking about that legal situation involving Vaughn Miller. Still working through it with Vaughn and his agent. And, uh, you know, in regards to the, to the, uh, the legal process, we're just gonna let the legal process, you know, play out before, um, you know, but obviously it's, it's a serious situation, but we want to let it play out before we comment on that. You know, we want to bring Vaughn back and we're still working through that. And I don't want to get into, you know, Everything, but we want to bring him back, and obviously the legal process, what he's going through, you know, it's a serious, you know, situation, obviously, and and uh, you know, I don't know all the details, but we respect what's going on, but you know, we do want Von Von back. Hey, I tell you what, if you don't know the details of the legal situation, twelve days before you have to decide whether or not to pick up an eighteen million dollar option, you know what that means, Shereen? That means you're not picking up the eighteen million dollar option, because. You would know everything, unless he just didn't want to get into it. If that was his way of punting on the topic, I would be damn sure that I knew everything there was to know about what Von Miller was facing if I'm thinking about picking up that option. Now, maybe they're going to negotiate something with him, but I still want to know what is going on with Von Miller and whether and to what extent he's going to end up on the paid leave commissioner exempt list. So I'm paying part of that that 18 million or whether it's 15 million, 14 million, 12 million, whatever, am I paying him that to not play? Do I have to worry about him being suspended without pay? I want to know all that now. And I think it's reckless to not know that if you're thinking about keeping him. So if George Payton's telling the truth, tells me that it's just a matter of time before Vaughn Miller's a free agent. Vaughn Miller was second overall, by the way, and I'm disappointed in myself. We I both didn't know were that wrong. because at the at the time, Quentin Coriat was a second uh, second overall pick, and Vaughn tied that, and then Miles Garrett obviously was a first overall pick. But yeah. I digress. Should have um, thought of that five minutes yes, ago. I, <laughs> yes, I should have. <laughs> the Broncos are in a very tough spot, Mike. First of all, with the legal issue, as we've as we've said, maybe they won't know everything they have to know about that before they sign it, re-sign and whatever they're going to do. Pick up the option, and I don't think they pick up the option. I think they try to work something out with him if they're going to keep him. They're not going to give him $18 million and, and guarantee that $7 million unless they're absolutely certain on that. But then you have the ankle injury, right? You have a guy who hasn't had double-digit sacks in, in three years. 2018 was the last time that he had double-digit sacks because he didn't play all that well in 2019. I know he made the Pro Bowl, had eight sacks, and obviously he didn't have the guy across from him uh, Chubb rushing the passer too. Bradley Chubb, he got hurt that year. But still, nonetheless, he missed the entire year last year with that ankle injury. So you got him coming off an ankle injury. You have the legal issues. If, if I'm the Broncos, I'm uncertain here what to do. You certainly don't want to see him walk away for nothing and go somewhere else and, and go back to the form that he had in 2018, 2017, most of his career and become one of the NFL's best edge rushers again. You don't want that, but on the other hand, you also don't want to pay him, and then he either doesn't come off the ankle injury like you think or hope that he will, or you have the legal issues that earn him a suspension. So, to me, they're in a really tough spot right now, Mike. 
Here's the other side of it, too, and we don't know what Vaughn Miller wants because he hasn't said so. Vaughn Miller may want exactly what J.J. Watt wanted in Houston. He may want a ticket out, and he's got an easy ticket out if he wants one because all he has to say is, I'm not compromising on my $18 million that I'm due to make. Now, he's got other issues depending upon what happened with this legal situation, and he surely knows the details better than George Payton. That doesn't mean he knows what the outcome is going to be, but I just feel like the time's come for Vaughn Miller to go somewhere else. Go somewhere where he has a chance of winning a championship. The Browns were interested in J.J. Watt. Didn't work out. Okay, Vaughn Miller and Miles Garrett put a couple of former Aggies together. I have a feeling there may be a Browns jersey hanging behind you once in a while if that ended up being the case in Cleveland where you get a couple of Texas and Texas A&M guys on both sides of the line. And uh, that would be a heck of a pairing if Vaughn Miller ultimately is healthy. We'll see how it plays out, though. I'd, I'd guess that he's not going to play for the Broncos again. I'll be surprised if he does. I'd be stunned, beyond surprise, beyond anything else. I don't think there's a word in the English language to suggest how I'd feel if Deshaun Watson plays for the Texans again. And the latest evidence, and the evidence piles up on one hand, of all the reports and anecdotes and explanations as to why Deshaun Watson is done with the Texans. On the other hand, there's nothing to suggest that he isn't done with the Texans, that he's just bluffing or doesn't mean it or is posturing, or will eventually cave. All evidence and reports and indications are he's done and he's not coming back. Jalen Ramsey, who shares an agent with Deshaun Watson, said on the Huddland Flow podcast recently that Deshaun Watson extremely serious about his situation, and I highly doubt that he will suit up in a Texans uniform again. And remember, a, f- a photo of the two of them together in Houston emerged when Ramsey was trying his damnedest to get out of Jacksonville. Watson had a front row seat for how to get away from a team. So I I put a lot of stock in what Jalen Ramsey is saying. Ramsey was in a tough spot because he decided he wanted out during the season. You, You can't withhold your services once you've already shown up. It's much more difficult under the CBA to do it. It's a lot easier to withhold services and stay away and exert leverage if you haven't shown up at all. And I I, think, I have no reason to think that's not what Deshaun Watson's going to do because, you know, there's not even a counter to it. There's nothing. It's just he's done. And the Texans seem to be the last ones to be willing to accept it, Shereen. Yeah, when our friend John McClain of the Houston Chronicle said, let's face it, it's over. It's time for the Texans to trade Deshaun Watson. I think that was a signal to the Texans that they, they should have heeded, but they obviously didn't. But I think you go back, Mike, and and I still say he needs to come out publicly, hold a press conference, talk to whoever he wants to talk to, whether that's John McClain or somebody else, but talk to somebody and state exactly what you want and why you're disappointed and all of those sorts of things. Whatever you want to say, say it. But I go back to the last words at his last press conference the day after the season ended. And he talked about the team needing new energy, discipline, structure, a leader. We need a whole culture shift, he said. We've got to be on the same page. There's too many different minds, too many different ideas, and too many people thinking they have the power. He never named Jack Easterby by name. I think we all thought it was Jack Easterby. I'm still sure it's Jack Easterby. I wish he had named Jack Easterby instead of using a veil reference to Jack Easterby. I wish he had come out and said it. But I do think, Mike, that he needs to now speak up to whoever it is and state why he's disappointed in what the Texans have done, that he wasn't a part of it or whatever, and that it's time to move on. I think maybe that's what speeds up this process. Otherwise, I just think these two are going to clash heads until training camp rolls around. At that point, as we've said, the Texans aren't going to get the true value for Deshaun Watson that they should get for him.
Not his style. Not his style to call out Jack Easterby. Not his style to go public. There was an item in The Athletic a couple of weeks ago where it was clear that he's very stoic by design. He saw how his mother handled her cancer diagnosis and treatment. He's very even keeled, and he doesn't want to go out and throw stones. He wants to handle his business privately and discreetly. Now, there may be a point where he decides, hey, I've tried and it hasn't worked. But uh, for now, he's hoping that they'll figure things out without him having to go public. Let's take a break. As I mentioned, Rick Spielman coming up in about 15 minutes. Before that, though, we will be answering some of the best questions that we found in today's mailbag. We'll do that next here on PFTPM. So Baker Mayfield and his wife last night saw a UFO drop straight out of the sky. Well, they're almost 100%, which leaves some room for debate. Look, I'm sure we all at some point have seen something in the sky that we wondered, what the hell is that? I remember one time flying back from New York, I looked out the airplane and I saw something silver out there and I was kind of half awake, half asleep. And you just accept what you see. Your eyes see it and you accept it. I I think, as I said today, it is the height of human arrogance and conceit to believe that there's nothing else in this vast and limitless universe, that there's no other life, there's no other planet that sustains life. That's ludicrous. The only question is, are we going to find them before they find us? And will, will they be nicer to us than we would be to them based upon our human history of conquering new lands, Shireen? Well, we're getting a good view of Mars right now, Mike, and doesn't seem to be anybody on Mars. And I, I don't know that I've seen a UFO, but, you know, I read recently about the American Airlines pilot while flying over New Mexico that, that radioed in and said he had seen an unidentified flying object. So if, if there's a pilot that's saying it and he doesn't know what this object is, I think we have to assume that there's something out there, right, that, that maybe, uh, maybe there is some life somewhere else. But I, I, I can't wait to meet the Martian, I think, because I, I do think, as you said, they'll be nicer than we would be to them. Yes, that's, that's the only question. Uh, will, will the golden rule, if the golden rule applies, I'm running for the hills. And uh, I'm hiding all <laughs> condiments in case they'd want to sprinkle salt and pepper on me before they eat me. All right, uh, let's answer a couple questions, or at least one. HTTR94 on Twitter. Is there anything Washington can do to trade for a top quarterback like Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, or will they have to settle for Sam Donald or Marcus Mariota? Hey, Shereen, I, 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 yeah, you can offer Chase Young and Terry McLaurin plus a couple of first-round picks. That would probably get you Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson if you want to give up Chase Young and Terry McLaurin. Yeah, no doubt. I, if I'm one of those teams, I absolutely settle for that. If I've decided that I have to trade my quarterback, yes, absolutely. I, and, I, and if I'm Houston or Seattle and I decide that, I would, I would take those guys. And if I'm Washington, certainly I would give them up to get one of those top-tier quarterbacks. I know Chase Young looks special, but I, but I would definitely do it on either side, Mike. Yeah, so it's doable, but you may have to give up more than you want to give up in order to get the guy. One more real quickly before we break. Vamos for Ramos. How can the salary cap go down if teams are playing one extra game this year? Is everyone essentially playing one uncompensated game in 2021? The answer to that is no, they're not. The salary cap this year is driven by all the money that was lost last year. Salaries didn't go down last year as the NFL teams were losing money. The reduced revenue due to what was it, about 1.2 million fans instead of 17 million fans? Yeah. 
that affects this year's cap. And they've they've agreed that it'll be no less than 180 million. Could have been a lot less. You know, somebody told me last week if the NFLPA and the NFL hadn't worked out their deal last year, if they had been in the last year of their most recent CBA, the salary cap this year would have been 160. So there's an extra 20 million there because they did that deal last year in March and again in July to allow the season to go forward in a pandemic. But that, that's all it is. And the extra game helps. It helps tremendously for next year. It's not going to help much for this year. Yeah, Mike, and, and players knew this going into this year that with no fans that revenues were going to go down and, and how things were going to be with the salary cap this year. We're just on the fringe now of some veterans getting cut. There's going to be a lot more to come, Mike, over the next week before free agency starts. Uh, you know, it occurred to me earlier today, and I don't want to do this. I don't want to put it out as a poll question, and I'm not going to. But I have a feeling there's going to – because I just don't think it's right to speculate on who's going to lose their job, like as a sport. But I think that that there's going to be at least one name that we're going to say, holy sheep, I had no idea that was coming. All right, let's take a break. What's coming next? What rule change we'd like to see, given the fact that some of the proposals have made their way out into the media, plus Rick Spielman coming up in about eight minutes. More PFT PM right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. be getting together for the second straight season shireen a couple of rule changes to discuss at least for now we'll have plenty more time to talk about it coming up in the in the uh, forthcoming weeks you seem to like the idea of replay review of roughing the passer i'm going to give you a chance to explain why before i say why you're incorrect <laughs> yeah i know people compare it to the pass interference from a couple years ago and i get that but i just think roughing the passer is easier to see 
on film than it's it's less subjective, I guess, on film than pass interference is. So that's why I like the idea. Safety rule. And I saw what happened in week 16 with that Browns-Jets game. I mean, Baker Mayfield gets tapped. The penalty's thrown. Lions-Vikings. Kirk Cousins gets sacked. There's no, there's no roughing the passer. And yet, that was fourth and goal. They get the ball, get a first down, end up scoring and winning the game. Two irrelevant, basically, games. I guess the Browns really wasn't because it ended up getting them in the playoffs. But, you know, we kind of forget that those two plays were so huge in those two games. I just think it's something that you can fix, Mike, and fix relatively easy, easily, unlike pass interference. Two things. One, I like the idea. I don't like the execution because we saw it with pass interference. It becomes the equivalent of shaking a magic eight ball to figure out what Al Riveron or his designee is going to do. Second, the way to fix it, very simple. Whether we call it booth umpire, sky judge, extra member of the officiating crew, in a booth, watching all the camera angles, talking directly to the referee, helping them in the event there is a mistake, like a badly missed roughing the passer or a bad call of roughing the passer. You have that member of the crew, no different than somebody down on the field, who would come over and say we should pick up the flag with the benefit of seeing everything that we see. That's what I think they should do instead of expanding replay review. Now, the spot and shoes that we caught wind of and reported last night at PFT for overtime, I had never heard of this. And I love it. Replacing the coin flip to determine the first possession in overtime and potentially making it true sudden death again, Shireen. One team picks where the ball is going to be spotted on the offense's end of the field, and the other team decides whether it's going to take the ball or have the other team take the ball. It's genius. It adds layers of strategy. I think it would drive coaches crazy, but I think it would be very exciting for the fans. Yeah, I didn't understand it at first, but I do now. I called the expert on it, MDS, who whose idea it was, and he explained it to me. And I do like it after hearing the explanation, Mike. And I do think it would fix overtime because, like he said, in a pizza, one person cuts it, the other person picks the picks the side of the pie that he wants, and there's no argument. Shereen, I remember vividly, and you probably saw this episode on Sesame Street when you were little like I was, figuring out how to split a chocolate chip cookie. And it was a lightning bolt. One person breaks it, and the other person chooses which one. Fairest way to do it. Rick Spielman next here on PFTPM. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome back and joining us now, longtime general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, straight from his office at the team's facility, an excellent and beautiful facility, by the way. I was there a couple of years ago right after it opened. He's Rick Spielman. Rick, welcome back. How are you, pal? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on today. Great to talk to you. And I've been looking forward to asking you this question. Contents of the first communication between you and your brother, Chris, <laughs> when he took a job with the Lions. Uh, he asked how my mother was doing, and so I filled him <laughs> in on that and uh, caught up on a lot of uh, family things, but uh, nothing business-related. But, uh, no, I was very excited for him. I know it's a great opportunity for him just to be involved. And, you know, Detroit is home for him. That's where they drafted. That's where he was drafted and, and felt that uh, if he can somehow get in there in whatever capacity help and be an assistant to the owner and, you know, the – Head coach and the GM will make all the calls in there, but any way he can assist, I know he's looking forward to doing that. What well, has to change things, though, from the perspective of how willing you'll be to bounce ideas off of him. You're going to be more guarded. He's going to be guarded. That's got to be the dynamic now. You're you're both working for enemy teams in the same division. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. Uh, it was fun when we played him in the last game this year, although he just got up there uh, just to see him. Um, but it, you know, we've always, even when he was a broadcaster, we never crossed the line on what he had to do from an integrity standpoint or me giving him any insider information that I wouldn't give anything else. So, um, we understand where that line is from the business side of it, but he is also my brother, probably my closest friend in the world. And, uh, we, you know, I talk to him almost on a daily or every other day basis. Have you at least asked him to tell his new head coach, Dan Campbell, to inform the players that they should not actually bite the kneecaps off of Vikings players? They can bite all the other kneecaps they want, yeah. but not Vikings players. Well, my wife, I came home and saw, and my wife watched uh, Dan Campbell's press conference, and she said, if I had to pick a head coach that your brother was involved with bringing to the Detroit Lions, that would be the guy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it basically is Chris as a head coach, you know, the old school mindset that that in many ways is not part of football, but still is integral to a team being successful. One thing I want to ask you about, you mentioned the season ending game against the Lions. That game included a very controversial call of roughing the passer that extended a Vikings drive, allowed a touchdown to be scored. Yesterday, NFL media reported that roughing the passer could be subject to replay review any preliminary thoughts from you as to whether or not it's a good idea to put that play, calls and non-calls of roughing the passer, in the bucket of what's reviewable? Yeah, I know the uh, competition committee is now putting all these rules and proposals together. I know uh, usually we'll meet with the NFL. They give us some statistical analysis on how many actual uh, controversial calls uh, were in the NFL last year on roughing a passer. But there'll be a lot more other things to discuss, too, on some potential rule changes. And it's the process every year. So, you know, also uh, there's going to be a, we're going to have to look at a lot of the potential rule changes from what we were able to do with COVID this year, you know, on the flexibility of the IR and being able to bring guys up and down that way. 
you know, the size of the practice squad. So a lot of those are in discussions right now. And I know those will probably be up at the time when the owner meetings come up here at the end of March. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what we learned from this year's COVID rules uh, and any other rule changes and how it's, it can make the game or make us better at the jobs that we have to do, especially from a roster planning standpoint and what actually does move forward. You know, I'm a big fan of replay review for things that are objectively identifiable. Did a guy get two feet in bounds before he went out of bounds after catching a pass? Was the ball out before the knee was down? I get nervous about it when judgment is involved, and we saw what happened with pass interference a couple of years ago. What would concern me about roughing the passer is the idea that you're going to go back and break it down frame by frame. There's 10 different ways that you can rough the passer you see one little flash of something that technically violates the rules, and all of a sudden out comes a flag for roughing the passer when it really wasn't roughing the passer. Well, hopefully you're, you, know, you don't know the angles you're getting to, and I think some of that uh, in the OPI and DPI rule we had a couple years ago that made reviewable, sometimes you don't have all those camera angles like you do for a national TV game. Uh, so... It, you, you have to make sure that you have it covered by all, all the camera angles, too, if you're going to do something like that. You know, I thought of you last night when I saw that one of the other potential proposals is a reversion to sudden death overtime. Obviously, that's the change that was made after the 2009 NFC Championship. Short field, couple of first downs, couple of questionable calls. Next thing you know, Garrett Hartley kicks a makeable field goal and the Saints advance and the Vikings don't get a chance to match it. But then I saw what the gist of this new sudden death is with the spot and choose dynamic that the Ravens are proposing. I don't know how much of a chance you've had to study it and review it, but I'll tell you what, it's one of those things where my first thought is, what the heck is this? And then right. when it's explained, it's a, it's a lot more fair than relying upon which way a coin strikes the turf. Yeah, no, we, you know, the first time I saw a lot of these uh, new rule proposals was yesterday in one of our committee meetings. And so I think the more we delve into this, uh, I know the competition committee, I know there's a subcommittee of coaches uh, that are heavily involved in the rule changes as well. So I think it's the more we take a deep dive into this, and I do believe you have to look at it from an analytical standpoint, too. Um, what is the potential outcomes if you do make these rule changes? And are they permanent or are they just on a one-year basis to see? So I think there'll be a lot of discussions because there's always two positives and negatives for each rule proposal, but it'll be interesting to hear all the different ideas on, uh, on these new rule proposals and if they'll move forward or not. Different scouting process this year, like last year, with some new changes. The idea that you can actually go to pro days this year, they were shut down in 2020. I heard you mention that yesterday in your press conference. How many pro days do you plan to go to? I'm trying to get to 10 to 15 if I can. Um, it's totally different. Last year at this time, we were able to have a combine, uh, got a lot of our work done there, saw a lot of the players work out at the combine. We were also able to see them play in the fall as well. So when they shut down the pro day visits last year, uh, it probably you, you always want to get out there to do that, but you, you had a lot of information already this year. I think most of the GMs, but I know myself, you know, I never was able to go out and see a college game this year because of the testing protocol and traveling with the team and being in the bubble. Um, the senior bowl was probably the most valuable thing we've had so far this off season to go down there and 
Jim Nagy did an outstanding job on putting that on. We were able to do, I believe we counted 128 player interviews in person. Now we had masks on, we had plexiglass between us, but you actually got to do that in person instead of virtual. And, you know, those things are important too, because a lot of the things you may not see uh, virtually, you can actually see body language and things like that, and get a real good feel for the person and their personality. And then just to get to see some of these kids uh, that opted out in 2020 or their schools didn't play till this spring to see a couple of those guys go down there and participate uh, was huge for us. But this year, the pro days are going to, I think, be bigger than ever because of the limitations we've had and the exposure we've had to a lot of these uh, upcoming draft prospects. So I'm excited to, to really get out, out on the road I, like most of my counterparts are, I'm sure. Uh, to see these guys, see them move around and, and watch them work out. For the guys who opted out, or for the guys who played for the teams that maybe didn't play in a lot of games last season, um, how hard is it to go back to your 2019 film and project from that? It's got to be frustrating because you want to have apples to apples. You're, you're, you don't have the full set of film that you ordinarily would have for a lot of these guys. No, and we did. We knew that there was going to be restrictions this year. So our uh, Jamal Stevenson, our college director, and a lot of our scouts uh, did a lot of all 19 tape on these guys because we didn't even know if there was going to be a season in 20 for a lot of these uh, schools, and especially the Power Five. But then the Power Five uh, came back alive, and they did have a uh, they did have a season, but then. You know, you're watching a kid play in 19, and why didn't he play as good in 2020? I don't, you know, the dynamics on were they able to work out at school? Weren't they able to work out at school? What were they dealing with COVID? You know, so there's so many variables that you see some of these kids that played in 19. You said, wow, he didn't play very good in 20. But then you saw a couple of kids that popped up and say, yeah, he, he took another step forward in 20. So evaluating this year is really going to be a, a two-year picture of what you've seen in 19 and what you've seen in 20. And then you're going to have to kind of blend that together and come up with uh, what you think that player is. You mentioned, you mentioned yesterday, yesterday that they could get up to five virtual interviews per player. Is that, is that unlimited number of players? And what's the time limit for each of the five interviews you can do? Yeah, you're allowed up to five. You're allowed one hour per interview. Um, you know, we've had, we already started like most teams have. I sat on two or three yesterday, um, just to listen in as the, as the coaches talk to the kids. Uh, we, uh, it'll be, uh, you're, you're allowed to have an unlimited amount of interviews. I mean, up to five per player, that's it, but an unlimited amount of players that you can interview. You can interview 5,000 if you want to, but strategically we have a plan in place on who we want to interview. Like I said, there was a big, uh, big help going down to the Senior Bowl and knocking out 128 interviews. So now the coaches just can piggyback off that. But uh, and the other thing is, I know you know during these pro days, there's going to be no private workouts, no dinners, no things like that. You're at the school, you're doing the work, uh, you're following the the rules of the university as far as the COVID protocol, the state and local government protocol, the NFL protocol. But at least we're out there and, and able to get uh, get our hands and, and, and not so much our hands on these guys. I shouldn't say that, but just get out there and, and see them in person. No matter how much you're able to do in advance, it's always a crapshoot. First round's a crapshoot. 
the Vikings have seen over the years at the receiver position, one good, one bad, one good, one bad. You hit a grand slam home run with Justin Jefferson last year. When did you first know he was going to be special? You know, I, I saw him in 19, and he took a significant jump in 20. And then the question was, was he just going to be a slot, or can he play outside? I think as we went through the process, uh, you know, saw him down at the combine, didn't get a chance to go to see him in a workout at all. But what really stuck out uh, when we actually did start in training camp was that he is such a unique route runner for his size his ability to drop his weight, to get it out of cuts. And if you watch some of the highlights, um, he does get DBs back on their heels and he can turn them. Uh, But also his catching radius and his courage coming across, not afraid to take a hit and his run after catch. And the one thing that really stuck out to us last year was the bigger the games got towards the end of the season, uh, the better he played. And he rose to the occasion and, and wanted the ball in those critical situations those on that big stage. How nervous were you back in April of last year as the, the picks are coming off the board and it's creeping down toward you? And is somebody going to take Jefferson or trade in front of you to get Jefferson? How, what was the anxiety level in those moments? Well, I think everybody has anxiety on draft day because it's the unknown. I, I, I equated it a little bit to when I talked to the media yesterday on us sitting there uh, waiting for Adrian Peterson to fall to us. And you you, you never know, Um, do you you trade up or do you not trade up? Do you sit there? And and a lot of it could be just luck of the draw too, that he fell to us. Uh, You know, but we also prepare that if we didn't get him, what was going to be our plan B and and how we were going to proceed from there. Uh, But we were very excited and very fortunate that he fell to us and, uh, I think we landed on a pretty good player. You made it clear yesterday that Kirk Cousins is the guy for this year. He's got two years left on his current contract. Salary of $35 million becomes fully guaranteed on March 19. Salary for next year of $35 million fully guaranteed. Would you like to extend, tweak, do something with his contract sooner rather than later? Yeah, we're not going to talk. I don't want to talk about any of the business that we're doing. You know, in general terms, I know we have some challenges facing us, uh, just like most teams do with the cap going down. A lot of the contracts that we did were pre-pandemic and trying to project where the cap was going to go up. Uh, The delta went the other way. There was a pretty significant delta. So we're trying to figure out right now uh, on how we are able to get underneath the cap, but also get enough room so we can improve our team. And I think whether that's through free agency in the draft, we got to get some uh, help on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the offense was rolling pretty good yes, last year, uh, but getting a Daniel Hunter back, getting a Mike Pierce back and Anthony Barr back. But we also got a lot of work to do from a contractual standpoint on more than one player. And there's a fascinating dynamic, Rick, that I think can unfold as teams look at their rosters and decide that it's not in their best cap interest to keep a certain player and more players become available. Then you have other options with guys who aren't currently on your team. I mean, how willing and active are you going to be in after you get through the wave of getting under the cap? You see guys out there who may be dollar for dollar a better value than guys that are still on the roster. Are you going to be willing in those moments to say, hey, I can get best interest of the team. I can get somebody out here who's going to take a contract. I evaluate his skills. I say it's a better value than a guy I have. 
Are we going to see that happen? And are you going to be inclined to constantly take a look back at your own roster and ask, is there somebody else out there that, that better fits at a better price what we're trying to do? Yeah, that's our job. Um, that's what we do. And that's what, uh, you know, you're trying to do pretty much 24-7 is improve your roster. The dynamic will be interesting on how many teams do cut players uh, and the value of that player, the type of player that's going to come out on the open market. Just seeing a couple of players already uh, that have been cut. But then you're going to weigh in, how's that going to affect potentially the free agent market? You know, because if you have guys out there that have been cut and you go that direction instead of maybe an unrestricted free agent, that doesn't affect your compensatory picks uh, down, the, down, down the road. Also, it'll be interesting. I think the top guys will still get paid because uh, there are teams out there with cap. But it'll be interesting to see once that first wave goes through and if there is a lot of veterans out there that have been cut uh, just because of the cap situation we are in right now, uh, the, the scrambling teams are going to do to identify those guys and try to add them to their roster. I mean, when a J.J. Watt gets out there, there was a lot of teams definitely from what you read off of pro football talk um, that there were a lot of teams that were very interested in them. But if there are a lot of caliber of players like that out there, it may be a whole different market than we've ever seen before. I think the reality, think the reality though, is there's going to be a middle class of guys who get squeezed and they have to just take a one-year deal. And there could just be a rash of, of good players, recognizable names, one-year contract, joining whichever team they can find a spot with where they think there's a fit, where they think they can contend. And that could be a powerful tool in building a team for this year. Yeah, and that's our job. It's it's We have to, every year, every team's trying to improve their roster to fill their needs. And what becomes available, that's your job to be as aggressive as you can uh, to go out there and get the best players possible to give you a chance to win. This is going to be the fourth offensive coordinator for Kirk Cousins in his time with the Vikings. I think it's six now in six years. <laughs> well, and, and it, it, it's amazing how that, that door spins, but – do you see this as, as not really a change because it's the same system? It's just one Kubiak passing the torch to another Kubiak? I, I think, uh, and I, I'll defer to Coach Zim and to Coach uh, Clint Kubiak on any of the changes that they're going to make from a schematic standpoint. But I know Coach Zim loves the system we run. I know it fits the quarterback very well. We've built uh, the offense around this system. Uh, and the more continuity you have, the more chance of success that you have, as long as you knock on wood, stay healthy. Uh, but I think the, you know, Kirk's been almost, you know, Kevin Stefanski had a little bit of this system in place when uh, Coach, when Gary came in and was kind of like the uh, senior offensive assistant uh, and assistant head coach. So this will be the third year Clint's actually going to be in this system that we're running right now. You know, we're about the same age. I grew up in the 70s. I discovered football in 72 with the Immaculate Reception game between the Steelers and the Raiders. In the course of that next 12 months, I became a Vikings fan when I was eight years old. And I remember Super Bowl VIII vividly. I remember Super Bowl nine vividly. The playoff game in 75 when Drew Pearson pushed off and it wasn't called vividly. Super Bowl in 76 vividly and every playoff loss after that there there are plenty of vikings fans out there and i'm i consider myself a partially reformed vikings fan but i know that they just want 
one Super Bowl win in their lifetimes. What's your message to the folks who have been waiting, whether it's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years or longer, who are saying just one trophy in our lifetimes? I, I don't think you're in this business unless you want to win that trophy. And I know with our ownership group and the Will family and all the resources they give us, not only from U.S. Bank Stadium, but TCO Performance Center, uh, to the resources to go out and buy the best, I would say buy, but the resources to go out and do contracts on the best players we can get. You know, we walk into this building every day and the number one goal is to how do we get to win a Super Bowl? And whether that's improving on the coaching side as far schematically, uh, improving on the personnel side. To me, if you're if you don't walk into your building every day and that's your number one goal, then you're in the wrong business. And our goal and objective every year is to come in here and try to win a Super Bowl. What would you say to the Vikings fans who look at the team over the past 20 years and say, hey, the Vikings contend every year. They're in the playoff mix every year. They get to the playoffs every other year or thereabouts. Good team, but it always seems like there's some other team every year that has gone fully all in, creates a dominant team, and the Vikings eventually walk into that buzzsaw in a playoff year. Uh, you know, How do you strike that balance between building a team that contends on a regular basis versus – Let's go for the brass ring right now, even if it screws us up one, two, three years down the road. If you go and what you're talking about, kind of an all in approach, uh, the one thing you can't predict is what happens from an injury standpoint. Every year, your goal, I mean, is and like everybody has the same goal. But if you can get into the playoffs every year, uh, it gives you a chance to have a chance. And if you happen to get hot that year or the you know, this play happens or that play happens, it keeps you going forward. Uh, and then it just clicks on that one year. I mean, we got close a couple years ago when Case Keenan was our third quarterback that came in here and got us to the championship game. And we just, you know, didn't get it over the hump in Philly that night. But every year you just want to give yourself a chance in the playoffs and then when it clicks. And I use Philly as a great example. They lost once that year. And Foles came in and was kind of struggling early, but all of a sudden he got hot at the right time and played his lights out, uh, which ended up beating New England up here in the Super Bowl. So as long as you can give yourself a chance to get in the playoffs and, and then let's see what happens from there. Last one for you, and this just occurred to me while we were talking. We've spent a lot of time in the media assessing the impact of Tom Brady's jump from New England to Tampa Bay on other quarterbacks who look at at his situation, what he did, and it may be emboldening them to make similar moves. From a team perspective, from your perspective, when you look at what the Buccaneers were able to do in one year, what, what lessons do you take away from that, that that you're comfortable sharing to an audience? Are there lessons to be learned by well, every, other teams from that? Yeah, every, every, everybody has their own different philosophies on how they're going to build a team, and, and Jason Lake did a phenomenal job down there, and you know, uh, I, even though I cannot speak of other players on other rosters, Tom Brady is maybe the best quarterback that ever played in the game of, of football. But I also know that they did a heck of a job building a team around Tom Brady, too. So it wasn't on his shoulders. They had a they had a good defense. They had playmakers on offense. So they had a, a, a good team and they were. 
just like everything, it's such a marathon every NFL season. And at some point, people were wondering whether they were going to get in the playoffs or not. And all of a sudden, something changed when they came out of the week and got on a roll. And, and you hit that buzzsaw. And so those are the things. And it's not like they had a, a, a bye week the first week of the playoffs. And they had to go on the road and they had to win in Green Bay, which was a tough environment to go up there and win and playing against Aaron Rodgers. And the stars just aligned, and they and like I said, Jason and them did a great job putting that roster together and in a click form this year, and they were able to accomplish the goal that they set out. And that's a great point, Rick. No matter how much work you put in this time of year or preseason, training camp, regular season, it always seems like it is for one team an alignment of the planets in a special way, and it just works. And you just want to be in position that maybe this year, next year, whatever year, the planets line up for you. We'll, we'll let you get back to work on getting the planets to line up for the Vikings this year, next year, whenever. Great work last year in getting Justin Jefferson. Congratulations on all your success with the Vikings. We look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.